Thanks, Ryan. Hey, grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 down in verse 38. And while you're finding that, uh, one quick announcement. Where's Benjamin Takunda? There he is. Three-month-old grandbaby right there, number five. Yeah. And uh, number six is due in December, and then my girls tell me they're done. Uh, but I wanted to just, I'm obviously Steve, and Taylor will be up in just a moment. We're going to co-teach this passage, but uh, as Ryan said, we're privileged to be part of the teaching team. But it's also good to know we're actually not on staff. We're not pastors. Neither of us are elders. I was an elder for a while. But we just love teaching in the Word. And one of the reasons I wanted to come up here and... Uh, and talk first because I can brag on Taylor because I did a little bit of seminary training. She has a doctorate in ministry. I mean, that's so, yeah, woo, yeah. So you just need to know this. I've learned a ton from Taylor over the last years, and I know you are too. Without further ado, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Only five verses, short but full of meaning. Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Taylor. Last week, we had Stephen teach us about the rich young man, and he asked us what we trust in. And that theme really sets up our morning again, because we see actually these gospel writers ask us over and over again, What do you trust in? What do you believe saves you? And they always then point us to the one who's worthy of that trust. The encounter that we're going to talk about this morning that Steve just read is going to push on us a little bit. It's going to push on what we value. It's going to push on where we spend our time. And perhaps even push on how we desire to prove ourselves with certain measuring sticks. You know what a measuring stick is? It's this thing that, like, my daughter, who desperately wants to be taller than it, because that means she gets to go down the the water slide, right? Or go on the roller coaster. We have these measuring sticks. They're the things that when we stand next to them, we think, oh, 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 look, I'm enough. Or perhaps we stand next to them and we think, oh, I'm very much not. For some of us, the measuring sticks are things that we do, Sometimes they are things that we are comparing ourselves to someone else regarding. I can get so frazzled when I cannot keep all the balls of life in the air. My life is in the sphere of context switching constantly. I parent a four-year-old, and then I write emails, and then I parent a four-year-old, and then I'm in meetings, and then I parent a four-year-old, and then I write, and then I strive to love other people, and it's switch, switch, switch. Perhaps you can relate. But then I'm also scrolling on my phone, and I'm seeing all the things that other people can pull off. And I hear a well-intentioned comment from a friend, and all of a sudden I am frantic to serve even better. And sometimes I can fall into these ruts of our culture, 
It's like when I was growing up on a farm and I'd push a wheelbarrow, and if the wheelbarrow got stuck in the ruts, I could end up going the wrong direction, right? Because the ruts of our culture tell us that we are evaluated by what we do, what we get done by our measuring sticks. For ha- perhaps for you, the measuring stick is you comparing, comparing yourself to their parenting. Or maybe it's trying to earn a little more money or that side hustle that you really want to grow. Maybe it's the Instagram-worthy life. Maybe it is this ministry that you really want to be valuable. Or it's the way that you can take care of people in need, your hospitable house, whatever it is. These things that we might measure ourselves by. Now, now these things aren't bad, right? Sometimes they're even volunteering at church. And we see in this text even that Jesus calls us to radical lives of service. But the question is, what are we willing to trade for these acts of service? What will we neglect to measure up? And really, what does it show that we're trusting in if we worry about our measurements? We're not the only people who struggle with this. And when Jesus walked on earth, he met people and spoke to them and had a word for them. So let's, let's, we're going to look at Luke in just a second. But Steve read our passage, which is in the middle of Luke, right? So we need a little bit of context before we talk about our passage. Luke has been writing about Jesus, and he's been writing about how Jesus is past the pivot point of this book where he has come down the mountain and is heading towards Jerusalem. Luke paints Jesus like the new Moses as Moses came down the mountain and led his people into the promised land and all of God's blessings. So now Jesus has come down the Mount of Transfiguration and is leading his people into something even better than the land of Canaan. He's showing us that Jesus is just like compared to the Old Testament prophets, he's even better than them. He's the ultimate prophet that we've been waiting for and that Jesus has been proclaiming this good news Because Jesus' message isn't just like the Old Testament, the message of the Old Testament prophets. Their message was like, this is what God's going to do. This is what God's going to do, which is good. But Jesus' message was about himself, that he said himself that I bring the good news. I bring the work of God, and I bring good news to the poor, specifically is what Luke says. Now, in Jesus' day, the the term poor didn't just mean the financially struggling, which it did, but it was more than that. It was the outcast, the hurting, the disenfranchised. This meant it was the children, the ignored, the desperate, and the women. So Luke is setting us up in this book to help us see that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem and gathering these people with him. And as he goes in this section of Luke that we're in right now, he's showing us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus who's heading to Jerusalem to bring the good news for us. So on his march, he meets these two sisters, right? Mary and Martha. And we're going to see and hear that in this story, we're going to see the welcome, the worry, and the word through the story and how Jesus is going to lead us through those three things. So first, who welcomes Jesus? Let's read in Luke 10, 38 and 39. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village 
where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, when someone traveled, they often relied on people to take them into their homes. Because even if there was a hotel, almost no one could afford it. So here is the set of sisters, and Martha, likely the oldest and the lady of the house, brings in this traveling teacher and the disciples. It's an act of love. And it's a beautiful act of love. And we see that Jesus has just actually talked about acts of love. Will you look up in your Bibles, the passage above it? If you have your phone, scroll up, right? Jesus has just had a conversation with an expert of the law. Do you remember his question? He said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus affirmed to him, love God, love your neighbor. And then this teacher of the law wanted to justify himself, wanted to decide to categorize his neighbors. Which of my neighbors exactly are worthy of this love? And then Jesus tells him the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, right? This man who sacrificially loved a distressed stranger. This is the way of neighbor love. This, so our story of Mary and Martha follows right after this, and I think Luke wants us to be asking the same question. How do we inherit eternal life? H- how do we follow this Jesus heading to Jerusalem? Maybe, maybe Martha's the model. She, she's loving here. She's bringing people in sacrificially into her home. Is, Mary, is Martha the, the model or is it her sister, Mary? What is Mary doing? Mary's sitting at the Lord's feet, quite literally, because Jesus would have been sitting on a cushion and she would have been sitting on the floor next to him, listening to him. Now, now let's think about this for a minute because it is a big deal that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. For that is a privileged place. Most Jewish rabbis would have been disgusted at the idea of a woman sitting in their circle. The cultural expectations are strong here. And while we look through the Bible, the devotion of women to their God has always been in the story of God. Few have wanted to encourage it. But that wasn't Jesus. In the culture that didn't believe women could make moral choices, this culture didn't believe that women could possibly tell the truth. So they didn't educate them, They didn't invite them into religious conversations. They were kept out. Yet here's Jesus who says, come in. Come sit here with me. Come speak. Come learn. Come be my disciple. Just a few chapters before this, we see that Jesus actually had women traveling with him as his followers. Shockingly. Friends, the way that Jesus treated women changed the world. That is a side rant you can ask me about later. (laughs) His message wasn't only for the privileged. It is an upside-down kingdom where it's not for the great in their own eyes, but those who are humble to hear. So those with humility to listen, men and women, so sat Mary. And maybe you're sitting here and you've wondered if Jesus would ask you to sit at his feet. We don't often sit at someone's feet, so maybe you'd wonder if he would ask you to come to lunch with him, with what you've done, with your background, with the way that people have not valued you. And let me tell you, he would. 
friend, Jesus would invite you in if you are humble to hear. He sees you and invites us. In most English translations here, it says that Mary was listening to what Jesus said. Do you see that in the text? Or that are listening to his teaching. But literally, Luke says he, she was listening to his word. And now Luke uses this word, word, in a very specific way. It's his way of talking about the gospel. In almost every chapter in the book of Luke so far, he's used this word, word, to mean the gospel that's coming. It's the message about Jesus. So Mary's not just sitting there listening about any teaching. She's listening to the message of the gospel that Jesus is bringing, the hope of who he is. Martha may have welcomed Jesus into her home, but Mary has positioned herself to welcome him as her teacher. Her posture reveals an internal choice. She's saying what Jesus says is more important than anything that needs to get done. It's as if she took her tether and she's clipping herself to Jesus, saying, I want him to be the anchor of my life. What he says is going to be the center. I'm anchoring myself here. Now we're going to keep reading because we realize that's not the joyful experience everyone is having right now. Next, we get to the worries and how Jesus responds to them. I'm going to pause. Friends, some of us may be really familiar with the story, okay? So much so that we may not be able to pay attention to all that it's telling us. So hold up, slow down with me a little bit as we're going to go step by step. Okay, here we're in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, Martha is responsible for the home, and the weight of it probably fell on her shoulders. She was culturally expected to do a lot to show honor to this rabbi. There was cooking and cleaning, and she was distracted by the tasks. Literally, the, te the text says that it's as if her anchor has broken loose and she's been pulled away. Like she had a line that was wrapped around and it slipped, and she's wandering away because of the distractions Martha wanted to listen to Jesus, but she's been dragged away because of the urgency of these seemingly important tasks. Like a tetherball that was tied to it and is swung around and now is flown out of the game. You can imagine the tension building inside of her, and we can hear it in her words. When was the last time you read through your to-do list and realized you weren't going to make it and the stress started making your neck turn red. Oh wait, that wasn't last week for you? I mean, the pressures of this day, the cultural expectations that we live under are massive. When, when we think that the clean floor, the volunteering, the next level of work, the perfect parenting are actually gonna prove ourselves, the anxiety can rise to a fever pitch. And it's then that we're more likely to get annoyed with the people around us, right? Would you get off the floor and help me? I'm pretty sure those words have come out of my mouth when people were coming over for dinner. It's as if our self-justification has been tied to our work. And all of a sudden, the pressure of productivity has turned us on those around us, and it shows what we're trusting in. 
So, G- so Martha, in her stress, turns to Jesus. Do you see what she asks? Don't you care? Have we heard this before? Do you remember a few weeks ago when the disciples were in the boat in the storm and they turned to Jesus? Don't you care? Of course he cares. Oh my goodness. Of course he cared then. Of course he cares now. But do you see who Jesus is? He hears the worries. When we are worried, we can come to Jesus. But we see next that it's, I think that Martha's leader of the home status may have gotten the best of her because she then tells the Lord to tell her sister to help her. It's definitely out of place. But what is Jesus going to do with the worry of Martha? This is where really the tension has built in the story. Will he support the woman who is piled high with tasks, trying to serve other people, likely preparing a superlative feast for Jesus? Or will he protect the woman sitting at his feet, seemingly unproductively, Does Jesus care about output or attachment to him? This is where we may be over-familiar with the story because it is shocking how he answers. We would expect him to want the service, to want the sacrifice for others. But we'll keep reading and see the word that comes from him. In verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus tells it to her straight, but tenderly. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but you've made the wrong choice. You see, the service that Martha wants to do isn't the problem. Right? Jesus has just told the parable of a good Samaritan. Radical generosity of our time and our money is part of following Jesus. But there's these worries and cares that are mounting up and pulling her away from something more important because she feels like she needs to prove herself. Do you guys remember the parable of the sower? Where they cast the seed, right? And some of the seed is, falls among the weeds and the weeds grow and choke it out. And what were the weeds? The worries and pleasures of life. Jesus just told that parable a few chapters before, and he uses the same word here with Martha. The worries are choking out something much more important, something that's truly needed. He wants Martha to walk away from the many anxieties and stress stress to choose one thing. It's as if our lives have a table covered with all of our tasks. Like for Martha, it's these clay pots and these ingredients of a half-made meal cooking over a fire. And it's as if Jesus steps in front of it and says, Martha, there is one thing needed. And you're missing it. We'll still eat, Martha, but it doesn't need to be like this. There's something more important here. With all of the cultural pressure, there's something that's even better that's needed. Jesus is looking her in the eyes and she's breaking the measuring stick, friends. That is not the most important thing. Not the service you need to do. Not your good ministry or your volunteering or the next level of work. 
not the perfect life that you can show off to other people, none of that will make you measure up. You cannot prove yourself. Not Martha and not us. Because what matters, it's choosing Jesus. Amen. Not your reputation. Not what other people see. Not what other people don't see. It's choosing Jesus. Jesus calls her to this role of disciple. This is what he wants for her. He's offering her to free her from the cultural expectations that are clouding her mind where she feels like she has to get this done. He wants to set her free and he wants to do that for us as well. Those standards aren't for us to live for. Remember, Luke is teaching us how do we inherit eternal life and the model isn't Martha, it's Mary. And it's not because Mary is doing anything, it's because she's been caught in the message of the ultimate prophet who says God's love is for her. Who has said, come to me. We choose Jesus, friends, over worry and anxiety, over our measuring sticks, because he is what's needed. We choose Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that our other tasks go away. We're still called to serve and lead and oftentimes more than even what we might be doing right now. But we serve without the pressure of needing to measure up ourselves. Small children may be pulling on you most moments of the day, right? Work may be pinging you, asking for more help for you to do more, take the next steps. There may be neighbors, people in this church who need help, and rightly so, as followers of Jesus, we want to live out faithfully these tasks. But we cannot center around multiple things. It would be to end up in a crazy, chaotic orbit. It's like the moon that comes around the earth and stays on course, so we have to have one central thing. And your work, your ministry, your service, even your family cannot be the center. Let me tell you, the anchor will not hold. If those things are in the center, it will only increase the worries and anxieties of your life and it will choke out the growth that God wants to do in you. Instead, we choose Jesus as the center. He is the anchor that will hold. When the Lord tells Mary, or said that Mary made the better choice, look at this in the text. This is so beautiful. And it says that Mary made the better choice. She, he's literally saying that she has the good portion. For some of us, that might ring a bell to places in the Psalms in the Old Testament. That term, old, good portion, is a phrase that Jesus is using to point us back, should send us these little flags. Because in the Psalms, they wrote about this concept of the good portion. The good portion is the inheritance that they would receive. Sometimes it was land, sometimes it was money. And the psalmists sing of how I may receive land or I may receive money or I may receive nothing, but I will inherit God. And the inheritance of God, my relationship with God is better than any of the other good gifts I could receive. So when Jesus uses this word, he's saying what Mary is receiving is a close relationship with him. And it's going to fill her up more than any meal that Martha could make. He is, she is receiving the best thing, better than all of the gifts. 
Friends, because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to give his people the gift of eternal life. It's a gift that the teacher of the law could not selflessly love enough to earn. It's the gift that Martha couldn't do enough to measure up for. It's the gift by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is for us. The gift of knowing God intimately, closely, and it's better than all the other gifts in this life that we could have. It's when we come to God with our selfishness and with our broken measuring sticks and with our anxieties, he says, this is the best thing you can have. Here is eternal life and forgiveness and the intimacy of this good portion of knowing me. This is the best thing. Do you see in the text, nothing will take that away from Mary, Jesus says. Nothing will take it away. Not the judgment of a sister, not the condemnation for not keeping up with the culturally expected tasks. Not the looking down upon because perhaps you don't seem worthy to sit at the feet of Jesus. Nothing will take eternal life and knowing Jesus from Mary. And nothing will take it from you. Not the judgment of another. Not the failure to keep up with the culturally expected tasks. And not any sort of condemnation that you're not worthy to be with Jesus. Nothing will take it away from you. I've heard this passage taught as if we should balance our quiet time and our work life. And those are good things to consider. But this is more about a choice. This text is about whether or not we're going to let the franticness of this world and our worries neglect the great word of God that leads us into the kingdom. Are we going to let it pull us off tether? Or will we welcome Jesus? Turn from our worries and hear his word that says, come sit, I am the thing that's needed most. We choose Jesus. He is the best portion of the good news of the gospel every single day. Sometimes our high productivity lifestyle is actually a cover for self-dependence, friends. We would rather trust in our own work than the work of another on our behalf. So what does this look like? Steve is going to help flush that out for us next. Thank you, Taylor. Yes, I heard a yes. How about a round of applause for Taylor? Because I just think it's appropriate. Uh, not to lift her up and give her glory. Obviously, all that goes to Jesus if you listen to her words. But I tell her I just appreciate you. Thank you. And now it's my job to continue the teaching with application. How do we do this? And Taylor gave this beautiful imagery of we choose Jesus. He's our anchor. And we're tethered to it. And while she was teaching, I hadn't thought about this all week. But how silly would it be for those boaters out there if you drop anchor... And there's no line attached to it. It wouldn't work very well. Well, we have to tether in. We have to clip in to the anchor. So one of the things we want to talk about is what, or actually who, do we really need? Before we go any further, I just want to hit the pause button and say this. This teaching is, I think, really, really important, what Taylor taught us. Really important. 
because it's going to actually change your life if you apply it. We could sit here and listen to a teaching like that and go, oh, that's really good for that other person. But the reality is I think Jesus is speaking to you today, me today, all of us today as, as a church and saying, I'm presenting you with a choice. We have a choice today. What choice are we going to make? What are you going to make? What am I going to make? Mary chose better, but what are we going to do? And, and to make that good choice, I think two things happens, have to happen. The first, the first thing is really basic, and you, you might not actually think about it, but the first thing we need to do is actually know, trust, believe, be convinced, however you want to say it, that Jesus is worthy. Because you're not going to make the choice for Jesus unless you're absolutely 100% convinced, trusting, full surrender that no matter what happens in this world, in my life, because it can get pretty tough, can it? I'm choosing Jesus. We have to decide first that he is the savior of the world, the king of the universe. He is the one that came to this world to save us. So we have to first decide that he is worthy. And we, we, we do that when we can join David when he says in the Psalms, Lord, you alone, you alone, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Because without Christ, we are helpless. We're born with a void, and only Jesus can fill that void. And, and I realize in a group this size, some here today aren't there yet. And I just want to encourage you and say, that's okay, because you're here, you're listening, you're learning, you're searching, keep it up. And I'm, I'm going to ask one favor of you as you search for Jesus and try to decide, is he actually worthy? Judge Jesus by Jesus. Judge Jesus by who he is and what he did. Don't judge Jesus by me or by Taylor or by Jose or by whoever you came with or your parents or your friends because everyone will fail you at times except for Jesus. Jesus never fails. So as you're considering whether or not Jesus is, uh, is worthy, be wise and look at what Jesus does and says. Well, the second thing we need to do is actually dive in again to these words Jesus says. We're going we're gonna to hang on the words of Jesus for the rest of our teaching time, and then Taylor's going to come back and lead us in communion. So we're going to just look at this uh, one, one phrase at a time and, and hopefully pull out some application. The first thing Jesus says to, Mar to Martha is, you are worried. It's a statement of fact. It's not an accusation. It's tender, as Taylor said. And worries are about the future, aren't they? Worries are about the future, things that haven't happened yet. Martha was worried about how the meal was going to turn out. The quality of the meal was her measuring stick, and that was largely imposed by the culture of our day. And, and we discover in this encounter that Martha's value was misplaced. Martha was worried about the meal while Mary was sitting with Jesus making the better choice. And we had that same problem today, don't we? I'm going to give you an illustration from, from my uh, work life. About year 2000, there was this little company named Garmin. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Uh, and you might not, know, might not know is Garmin's actually named after the two co-founders, Gary and Min. And uh, at the time they were going public, I was working in an investment 
firm. So this illustration is going to be about work stress. Some of you can identify with that. So my job was to decide whether or not to buy Garmin stock for the company. And if I bought it and it went up, that's success and I'm going to look good. And if I didn't buy it and it went down, I'm going to look really bad and embarrassed. And of course, there's no pressure. Actually, my paycheck was literally tied to my investment decisions. So if I made the right choice, I was going to actually make more money. Well, to add to the pressure, the firm decides to fly me down to San Francisco to have a one-on-one meeting with Gary and Min. They're nice guys, by the way. Uh, and during that meeting, I had, I had to make a decision whether or not I'm going to make a choice to buy the stock or not. Do I, do I succeed or do I fail? Am I a winner or am I a loser? And I would be a bold-faced liar if I didn't tell you I was worried about decision, that decision. That's not the point of this story. I was worried because we had a young family. I was just getting started on my career. I was worried. But here's the deal. I'm not going to tell you what my decision was. And for some of you, that's just driving you nuts right now. <laughs> and by the way, don't come at, up after the service and ask me, what did you do? But the reason why I tell you that story is because embedded in our culture is this overvalued win-lose success failure, isn't it? That's how we get our worth. Taylor said that the kingdom of Jesus is upside down, and I would add it's wonderfully upside down. My worth is not tied to winning and losing success and failure. It's tied to his kingdom, which is about compassion and love and grace and integrity and humble service. So we picture Jesus saying to you and me today, you're worried about fill in the blank. Steve, you're worried about, I'm not worried about Garmin anymore, that's past. <laughs> Taylor, you're worried about, Scott, you're worried about, I just met Anna, you're worried about, what are we going to do with that worry? You know, for Martha, her worry was the hospitality in the home. For our worry, it could be all sorts of things, finances, relationships, health, raising children, Jesus lovingly confronts our worry because he offers a better way, something more than our self-imposed measuring sticks. I'm going to hit the pause button again because this doesn't really fit with this message and the context that Taylor so wonderfully taught. But I know there's some of you that are here today saying, Taylor's talking about worries in the home. Steve's talking about worries in the job. My worries are off the chart, and my worries are actually debilitating anxieties. And there's probably some people here like that today. This text is not about that, but I want to give you some encouragement. If you are one of those people, you've got company. I was one of those people just earlier this year. Uh, as many of you know, my wife had, has leukemia, and a couple years ago she spent a long time in the ICU. And earlier this year, for some reason, I started having nightmares about that, and they were debilitating. I couldn't sleep. It was getting to the point where I couldn't function. My anxiety was off the charts. So I went and sought professional licensed counseling for the first time in my life. And I could just tell you that, amen, it helped. And if that's you, our leaders here, Margaret in the back, Tony, they have a list of professional licensed counselors because if you need that kind of help, go get it. Don't be like me and wait until you, my wife says, I want you to go get counseling. <laughs> and I did, and it helped. So 
advertisement over. Let's move to the next. (laughs) Jesus says to Martha, you are upset about many things. And I said that worries are about the future. Usually things we're upset about have already happened or they are happening. They're more in the present. And I just want to share that there's two things I've noticed about myself when I get upset. Maybe you're different, but I'm going to guess I'm going to have a lot of company. When I get upset, I tend to say something stupid. But we're in church, so I got to change that to foolish because we're trying to teach the grandkids to not say stupid. So I tend to say something foolish. Martha actually accused Jesus, like Taylor said, of being uncaring. That's foolish. And then even more foolish, she tells Jesus, the Savior of the world, what to do. You don't boss Jesus around. I also notice when I get upset, I tend to be angry. And not a righteous anger when Jesus overturned the money tables in the temple. That was a righteous anger. And Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. And sometimes I get angry at things in a righteous way. But I have to say, a lot of times when I'm upset, I get angry in an unrighteous way. And I've noticed that when I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm tethered to Jesus, I'm more likely to stop before that point. I'm more likely to not get angry. And notice this. When Martha is in this little uh, time, she gets pretty self-centered. We do that when we get angry, don't we? We tend to focus on ourselves more. Martha says, my sister has left me to do the work. Martha was focusing on herself and her problem. One other thing to notice is a lot in this passage in Jesus' words are so valuable to us. He says, Martha, you are upset about many things. Oh, and I think that's a word for us today because we live in a culture of many. We need to ask ourselves, are we upset about many things because we're doing too many things? The most common thing I get when I ask people, how are you doing? They just go, oh, man, I got so much on my to-do list. I got so much. They're just overwhelmed with many things. And again, I don't know about you, but when I get too busy with many things, I get upset. I get frazzled. And so here's something to apply this message from Jesus today. We have to ask ourselves, is there something in our life that is upsetting us and needs to be eliminated? We're just doing too much. There's a bunch of examples. Obviously, social media is an issue. Maybe you need to get rid of it. For Vicky and I, CNN and Fox, gone. They no longer are in our house because they are upsetting I think they've kind of tried to do that. What about other news programs or projects or activities? What's the Holy Spirit poking at you right now? He pokes at me about things. I hope he's poking at you. Because the less things we're upset about, the less time we spend with upsetting things, the more time are we going to be sitting at Jesus' feet, aren't we? We have to ask ourselves boldly, boldly, do I actually have time for Jesus? Or have I carved out all this time for myself and other activities and things that Jesus is over there? Jesus says to Martha, few things are needed or indeed only one. And in our culture, we hear a lot about balance. And Taylor mentioned balance. And balanced things aren't bad. Balanced meals, those are good. Can't do a whole meal of bacon all the time. Every once in a while, those are not bad. Balanced work, home life, balanced investment portfolios. Again, these are not bad things, but Jesus is talking about 
focus. He's not talking about balance. He's talking about focus. What's the one thing you're going to focus on? What's the one thing that you're going to center your life on? The one thing we need. Is it Jesus or the dishes? And another thing we hear a lot about in our, in our culture is priorities. Again, priorities are not a bad thing. But in our Western culture, when we say priorities, we tend to picture a triangle, don't we? And of course, in the top tip of the triangle is Jesus. Everybody knows that. Even the Sunday school class knows. That's who goes in the top point of the triangle, right? And then after that, who knows what you're going to put next? Maybe it's family. And then down after that, it's work. And on we go down the triangle, but that's not the way Jesus is talking about priorities. He's talking about priorities in a hub and spoke where the center of the hub is Jesus. And then all these other things in our life, work, family, relationships, everyone is tethered to Jesus. Everyone, recreation, your marriage, everything is tethered. We don't want to stack it up so that we're, things are buried and we can't get to Jesus. Everything is connected to Jesus. Practically speaking, the challenge I have with this parable, because I'm a, just a dude, I can't sit at the feet of Jesus. He's not here. So what does that actually look like? Another way to think of that is when, when uh, we talk about sitting at the feet of somebody, we're in their presence, aren't we? We're in their presence. Another great picture from the scriptures all over the Psalms is that our refuge is in the shadow of his wings. Our refuge is in the shadow of his wings. And you can't be in the shadow of something unless you're close. So perhaps that's another picture for you to how do we live our life as we make cho- choices? We, need, we want to stay in the shadow of Jesus. I don't want to get so far away that the shadow's over there. I want to stay close enough to Jesus. And if you need help with that, go to the prayer area in the back. And ask someone to pray, like, I just need to get into the shadow of Jesus today and stay there. And then the last thing Jesus says to Martha is, Mary has chosen better. I said when I started that I think you cannot overstate this message, this, this teaching from Jesus, because we have a choice given to us by the Savior of the world, a daily choice concerning how we live, frazzled or free. Are we going to live frazzled or free? Frazzled with worry and upset all the time? Or free because we're tethered to Jesus. He's the one we need. He's our center. He's our anchor. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward now. And as I said, I'm going to finish up here in just a second. And then Taylor is going to come and lead us in communion. Uh, And then we're going to sing a couple worship songs. And then we're going to leave this place and go make choices for Jesus, right? So we got to take some time to do this. And this is going to take more than just quick fix. This is a lifestyle change to constantly apply the spiritual discipline so they make the right choice. To sit at Jesus' feet or, or live in the shadow of his wings. In some of your Bibles, there's a cross-reference in, in this text to Psalm 27, particularly verse 4. But I would encourage you to read all of Psalm 27 sometime today. But I just want to read this verse a couple times to us. And then we could join David because David wrote that psalm and he said this. One thing, one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And the house of the Lord represents the presence of the Lord. 
So I'm going to read that one more time with that phrase. One thing I seek most is to live in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the king of the universe. You are the savior of the world. You are the one that we need. You are the one that we desperately want to center our life on. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you come upon us today and show us changes that we could make, not in our strength, but in your strength, so that we could live in the shadow of